Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hey there, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards, and we're back, baby. That's right. We are recharged and raring to go in 2017. Hoo-yah! And we are actually recording in 2017, so this is uh, we feel we feel good, we feel energized. Uh, we're ready to bring you some great after the endings this year, and all kinds of fun and cool stuff uh, coming yeah. up in the future. 2017 is going to be a good year, and if it isn't, that wasn't me jinxing it. It's just the way it happened. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks, Phil. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you didn't I've, jinx I've it. I've jinxed it, haven't I? I yeah. don't know. I feel like if I had said it, it would definitely be a jinx because I have that power. But maybe, maybe you won't. Uh, have that effect on it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our uh, our exciting episode. Uh, tell people, Phil, what we have planned for them tonight. Well, tonight we are going after the ending of uh, we're doing Ghostbusters two from nineteen eighty nine, and also the classic To Kill a Mockingbird from nineteen sixty two. We will also have a Mighty Morphing mini feature, and we will be doing our top ten films of twenty sixteen. Yes, that's right. Last year's top ten films. Yeah, it seemed like the right time. You know, it's the it's that kind of. All the end of the year best of lists are out, so we figured we'll we'll throw our two cents in and and uh, share our top movies of 2016. So I, I have to admit, Phil, I'm very excited to hear your list. I always look forward to comparing our movies, but because these are so fresh and we've talked about so many of them, you know, you and I personally, I'm I'm curious to see kind of where we fall and and you know where our lists align and where they kind of separate. Yeah, it was pretty pretty tricky list to be honest, but we'll we'll talk about that more when we get to it. But Indeed. that was a good good putting it together. Some good films last year yeah yeah a lot of fun so should, for those joining us should we give them a rundown of what exactly we do yeah why don't we new do year that? yeah yeah new year new listeners right yeah that's exactly yeah lots of them thousands of them thank you all <laughs> you thousands for joining us that's right uh if you haven't already guessed i'm english mike isn't <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> but this is a, a transatlantic uh podcast where we mike and myself we talk about two films and we go after the ending and it can be we have some certain rules which can be bent a little bit yeah we don't do films that have sequels uh movies based on true stories you no know, biopics and the like and i think that's it any more rules mike no that, that's pretty much it we and we play pretty fast and loose even with those uh you know but yeah. uh, and then we go kind of through each uh each film we give kind of three sections of we do the day after which is sort of what happens right after the movie ends then we do the immediate aftermath which is sort of that you know Anytime from a few weeks to a few months to a few years after the movie ends. And then we do the long term, which sometimes can be, you know, 50 years in the future. Or sometimes it just happens to be the kind of the conclusion of our story. So yeah. um, sometimes it can be millions of years. In the that's true. We've done that, too. And yeah. uh, and Phil and I, we don't compare notes. We have no idea what the other person is doing. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's always a revelation to us what the other ones come up with as well. So. Yeah. And any similarities in our end after the endings is purely coincidental. That's right. Exactly. So uh, with that said, then, why don't we jump into things and uh, why don't we start things off? Uh, let's do To Kill a Mockingbird. How's that sound? That sounds very good to me. Do you want to give us a quick rundown on what the what happened in To Kill a Mockingbird? Absolutely. Well, to, to Kill a Mockingbird, one of the most beloved novels of all time, and I think also probably one of the most beloved films of all time. So if you haven't seen it yet, you really should go watch it. It is a phenomenal film. Oh, it really is. Yeah. Right. It, Brilliant film. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, 1962, directed by Robert Mulligan, starring the great Gregory Peck, as well as Mary Badham, Brock Peters, and Robert Duvall. And uh, it is well known to be Gregory Peck's favorite role of his entire career. And for good reason, it is easily, I think, the best role of his career as well. As you said, it's a brilliant film. It's so well acted. Yeah. And, you know, it's what's great is it's one of those classic movies that, you know, you know, the acting is phenomenal, but it's also such a great story. And it's such a riveting film that, you know, from the very beginning, you're you're wrapped up into it. It's not one of those movies where you just watch it for the performances yeah you know you watch it and you love it because it's amazing and it's uh it does have you know some some very serious messages there and sadly it still applies today absolutely so all right right, well for those of you not familiar with the story uh this is a very boiled down version of it but this is what happens in to kill a mockingbird okay so in the small town of maycomb alabama we meet lawyer atticus finch played by gregory peck and his daughter scout and son jem jem and scout are young children who spy on the neighborhood recluse boo radley played by a young robert duvall and through atticus's work as a lawyer the kids begin to understand heavy concepts such as racism despite atticus's belief that every person should be treated fairly and equally. Atticus is appointed to defend a black man named Tom Robinson, who is accused of sexually assaulting a white girl. When a mob shows up to lynch Robinson at the prison, Atticus is there to defend him, and Scout inadvertently gets the crowd to disperse with her innocent attitude. At the trial, we learn that the victim invited Tom Robinson over, and Atticus claims that it is more likely that she was beaten by her father and not Tom Robinson. Despite clearly being innocent, Tom's statement that he felt sorry for the girl elicits a strong response from the jury, and he is found guilty. When Atticus arrives home, he learns that Tom was killed by a deputy during his transfer. After a Halloween dance at their school, Scout and Jem are attacked on the way home. They are saved by an unknown man who carries the unconscious Jem back to Atticus's house. Atticus then introduces Scout to Boo Radley, who saved her and Jem from what turns out to be Bob Ewell, the man that Atticus accused of beating his daughter during Tom's trial. Ewell is found dead in the field where the kids were attacked. Sheriff Tate believes that Boo killed Ewell to save the children, while Atticus believes that Jem killed him in self-defense. They decide there's no need to draw Boo or Jem into the spotlight for what was basically an act of heroism. So the film ends with Scout pondering the events as Atticus watches over an unconscious Jem. And that is To Kill a Mockingbird. Very nicely done. Very good summary. Thanks. It's, uh, I don't yeah. think it captures, obviously, the, the nuances of the story, but uh, it's just a little reminder for you if it's been a while since you've seen it. Yeah, you got a lot of major beats. Very nice. Thank you. So, Phil, why don't you tell us then what happens in your day after? Okay. Jam comes round, and although he has a bad headache and a broken arm, he seems okay. They all agree that they'll leave Brew Radley out of it and go with the story put forward by the sheriff. Atticus is just thankful that his children are okay. Sheriff Tate and Atticus talk about the events involving Bob Ewell and Tom Robinson. Tate implies that he will try and be fairer and less judgmental in the future and try and get his fellow officers to be the same. Atticus says that they should all try to be better people. That's my day after. Very nice. I think that keeps with the spirit of the film quite nicely. Thank you very much. And what about your day after? All right. Well, uh, similar to yours, actually, Jem recovers from the attack and regains consciousness, much to Atticus and Scout's relief. Boo Radley remains isolated but keeps watch on Jem until he awakens. Atticus asks Jem what happened, but Jem's memory is foggy and he doesn't really remember. Atticus ultimately decides it's unimportant, and life slowly begins to return to normal. He keeps the kids home from school for a few days, and while he is at work, the kids manage to coax Boo out from the shadows and begin to build a tentative friendship with him. Boo is silent and reserved, and a little bit scary, but Scout realizes he has a gentle soul and begins to include him in more of the family's activities. Atticus, of course, approves, and Boo becomes a sort of de facto member of the family. Shortly before the kids' summer break from school, Boo is over at the house one day watching them play in the backyard when the police show up 
Atticus rushes out to see what's going on, and Sheriff Tate tells him that he's here to arrest Boo Radley for murder. And that's oh. where we'll leave it for now. A little cliffhanger, but it'll be resolved soon. Boo Radley just can't catch a break, can he? <laughs> God. No. Okay. No, it's tough. We'll Life is tough for there. Boo Radley. Yeah. All right, so how about your immediate aftermath? Okay. Jem recovers. His arm still aches in the winter, though. Uh, Scout and Jem have become friends with Boo Radley, and they sometimes go fishing in the evenings because Boo never really wants to go out on them during the daylight hours. The kids have lost some of their innocence but managed to still have fun and still, still, still act like kids. It hasn't been totally ruined for them. Atticus begins writing up a paper for the case of Tom Robinson and how all people, whatever their race, religion, belief, should be given a fair trial. He has no plan to publish it but does it for his own peace of mind. However, after a couple of his colleagues and Sheriff Tate read it, they convince him to publish it, which he does. Atticus also begins teaching at the local college. He still practices law and people know he is an honourable man. And that's my immediate aftermath. Very nice. I like it. So what's happened with Boo Radley then? All right. Well, Sheriff Tate allows Atticus to ride along with him and Boo to the county jail. Along the way, Sheriff Tate reveals the details of the case. An elderly lady had been robbed and beaten in the general vicinity of Boo's house and had died as a result of her injuries. An eyewitness fingered somebody matching Boo's description as the culprit and saw them running off towards Boo's house. Sheriff Tate tells Atticus that he doesn't think Boo did it, but he has to follow the case through, and Atticus understands. Without hesitation, Atticus takes on Boo as a client, and he convinces the judge to allow him to take Boo home and keep him in his custody while he awaits trial, rather than sitting in a jail cell. When the trial arrives, Atticus takes to the floor and defends Boo like a man possessed. Not wanting to see a repeat of what happened with Tom Robinson, Atticus interrogates witnesses, attacks the prosecution, and investigates the crime around the clock. Right before the end of the testimony, with Atticus afraid that he's losing the trial, Scout sneaks into the courtroom and whispers in Atticus's ear. Unbeknownst to him, she had been out and about during the trial, interviewing witnesses on her own. Atticus listens to her and then turns and faces the court and calls a new witness, John Ewell, the late Bob Ewell's brother. Ooh. And we shall good see. Good old Scout there doing a bit of the old investigation. Yep, yep. I like it. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, well, let's uh, let's see where we wrap things up in your ending then. Give us your long term. Okay. Uh, a few years have passed by. Jam still lives in Maycom and is planning on joining the police force. Scout is at university studying law and she wants to be a lawyer like her father. She's also a minor celebrity as Atticus's paper swept through universities, schools, law firms and the halls of government. Thanks mainly to various newspapers picking it up. It put into stark detail the many injustices inherent in the US and other legal systems around the world. It has brought change at all levels. There's still a long way to go as people are still stupid. <laughs> Steps are put in place to ensure that prejudice is reduced, if not fully removed from courthouses and the like. Over the years, this has a trickle-down effect through all parts of society. Many years later, Gem and Scout accept the Nobel Peace Prize for their father, Atticus Finch. It is a po posthumous award as Finch had died in his sleep a few years previously. But Gem and Scout are fiercely proud that their father helped change the world for the better. And that's my... And after the ending. I love it. It's perfect. I think uh, it captures who Atticus Finch was to a T. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I thought he would go out and change the world. Absolutely. Well, he wouldn't have done it deliberately, but he just would have through his actions. Right, exactly, because he was a good man, you know, and, yeah. and, you know he, he, and he fiercely believed in equality. And I think that when you have someone who's that passionate about it, you know, that attitude is infectious and it would carry forth in, you know, in, in these ways. It wouldn't just be something that dies with him, you know. Totally, yeah. So, yeah. very Thank nice. Very Once again, Phil, you, you bring a little tear to my eye. You are the master That's of that. That's the plan. I always try to make you cry every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you succeed more often than not, so. Yeah. 
<laughs> and did you notice there's no serial killer? I, I did not I did pick up on that, actually. I'm very proud of you. But we still have another movie to do, so... Yes, we do. You know, I'm, I'm not crossing that off the checklist just yet. <laughs> okay, but what about your long term for To Kill a Mockingbird? Well, before long, Atticus has revealed the truth. John Ewell wanted revenge on Boo Radley for killing Bob Ewell. He heard about the events of Bob's death from one of the sheriff's own deputies, a drinking buddy of his. So he impersonated Radley by dressing like him and racing off towards the Radley home after he committed the murder. Ewell is taken away and Boo is released and cleared of all charges. The Finch family is overjoyed and Boo expresses his gratitude the best way he can. Over the next few years, Boo remains close with the Finches as Scout and Jem grow older and go through school. After college, Jem attends a law school and follows in his father's footsteps, becoming a public defender and eventually starting his own law firm. Scout takes a different path and gets her teaching degree. Inspired by her close relationship with Boo, she takes a focus on special education. She goes on to become a special education teacher who pioneers several groundbreaking programs in the special needs community that betters the lives of the special needs students around the world. Atticus grows old watching his children make the world a better place, and he realizes that of all the good he's done in the world, raising these two amazing children into the adults that they have become is his greatest accomplishment. And that's the end. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, nice. I like that uh, having Scout going into the teaching and special needs. Yeah, it's nice, though. I, I like you. I toyed with making her follow in Atticus's footsteps because she sort of is more of his, like, you know, yeah. shadow a little bit. Um uh, so I, I did. I toyed with that idea also, but I also like the idea of her kind of being inspired by her friendship with Boo, yeah, and sort of taking that into the you know, the special needs realm and sort of you know trying to make the world a, a better place through education and and you know stuff like that. So definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we both stuck to the spirit of the uh, the original book. Yeah, I've still not read the sequel, so I don't really know. Right, know. that's true. We did mention that we don't do you know movies with sequels, and while there hasn't been a, a sequel to the movie there was of course the book that harper lee put out a couple of years ago um which neither of us have read but yeah i think um you know i mean I, I, you and i both when we do these movies there's some movies where you can get very kind of irreverent or very dark or whatever and there's some movies that you kind of have to keep to the spirit of and i just think yeah you know to kill a mockingbird is one of those ones where it's like you know it's such a beautiful story and it's so well done and so moving that i, I you know i i wouldn't have felt right going in kind of a different direction than that i know because i did uh I did toy with the idea of having Boo Radley become like a Jason Voorhees kind of character, but now I thought, no, right, doesn't right, sit with it. So. Right. And that would have been fun, you know, but it's, yeah, uh, but, you know, but I, I agree. I think it was, it's nice to kind of, you know, stick with the spirit of the book so, or the movie. Definitely. All right, great. That's some nice ending. Agreed. So, uh, Phil, do you have any trivia about To Kill a Mockingbird for us? I certainly do. Okay. So we've got Gregory Peck's nine-minute summation scene was done in just one attempt, which is pretty amazing. It really is. Yeah, because it's a hell of an emotional scene, but he, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brock Peters, who played Tom Robinson in the film, he delivered Gregory Peck's eulogy at the funeral. Mm. Uh, Robert Duvall uh, had no dialogue in the film, and he stayed out of the sun for six weeks and dyed his hair blonde in preparation for the role. And he's also the last surviving adult cast member. Right. Uh, James Earl Jones auditioned for the role of Tom Robinson. Mary Badham, who played Scout, she became the youngest girl at the age of nine to receive an Oscar nomination. That was for Best Supporting Actress. Right. Well-deserved. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Finch was Harper Lee's mother's maiden name. Oh, that's cool. And other contenders who could have been Atticus Finch were Rock Hudson, Spencer Tracy, and James Stewart. Well, I mean, all great actors, and I could especially see James Stewart playing yeah, that part. Yeah, but yeah. I do think, much like we talked about James Stewart in our last episode, being you know kind of born to be in It's a Wonderful Life, this was Gregory Peck's role 
of a lifetime, and I, I think he was the perfect person for it. Yeah, absolutely nailed the role, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's move on then to a completely different movie. We'll do a little 180 there, and uh, yes, <clears throat> we bit will of a change. jump into Ghostbusters 2. Now, obviously, you know, the reason we picked Ghostbusters 2 is because there's a sequel to Ghostbusters called Ghostbusters 2, so we couldn't do Ghostbusters per se uh, because we already know what happens afterward in Ghostbusters 2. So we're picking up after the events of the sequel, and it's just sort of our take on, you know, these characters that we know and love. Does that sound sound yes. about right, Phil? Yes, that's right, Mike. We uh, we couldn't do Ghostbusters, the original one, but we could do Ghostbusters 2 because, as yet, there is no sequel to that. Right. But who knows what the future holds? Well, I know what the future holds. It holds us doing our after-the-endings for Ghostbusters 2. So why don't you go ahead and remind people what happens in the film? Okay, Ghostbusters 2, The Slime, Statue of Liberty... Vigo the Carpathian portrait, kids, boom, there you go. I think it pretty much does it, you know. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> no, no. Okay, you know, it's uh, the 1984, 1989 film, Ivan Reitman directed it, which also happened to be the eighth highest grossing film in 1989, which surprised me. I didn't think it was that successful, but, right. but it's good. Okay, so after the events of the first film, the team was sued by various agencies for property damage, but they accepted a restraining order barring them from busting ghosts, and they're now considered frauds in the general community. Uh, f- we're five years later from the first film, Ray's got an occult bookstore and works with Winston as child entertainers. Egon is working at Columbia University and Peter hosts a TV show. Uh, Dana has a child and she now works in a museum restoring artwork. And they're currently working on a portrait of Vigo the Carpathian. And the team is led by Dr. Janusz Pohar, played by Peter McNichol, who uh, is actually very good in the role. You think he's overacting, but he, uh, I think it had to be like that. Oh yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, so strange things start happening and it turns out the spirits of Vigo the Carpathian Vigo the Carpathian wants Dana's child so he can possess it and live again. Dr. Pohar falls under Vigo's spell. And meanwhile, the Ghostbusters discover a strange, vast river of pink slime under New York City. And they discover that it reacts to emotions and can be charged positively or negatively, depending upon the emotion. It's mood slime. Exactly. And as it's uh, underneath New York City, it's been generated by the negative attitudes of New Yorkers. But uh, I, I do like New York City, so, you know, I'll let them off. <laughs> uh, the Ghostbusters go to see the mayor and tell him about the problem, but his assistant sees them first and has them committed. Janosch kidnaps da- Dana's baby, Oscar, and goes to the museum. Dana follows him and enters the building, which is then encased in slime, and which forms a hard shell, and no one can get him. New Year's Eve sees an increase in supernatural activity, and, and the slime rises underneath the city. Once the mayor finds out what hap- is happening, he fires his assistant, frees the Ghostbusters, and they head off to the museum but they can't get in, so they need something big and positive to get in. Using positively charged slime, they use it to animate the Statue of Liberty, whack on a Jackie Wilson song, and this makes New Yorkers happy as the Statue of Liberty, which is now animated, walks across towards the museum, and the slime begins to recede. The Ghostbusters get into the museum, and all the positive energy weakens Vigo, who, after temporarily possessing Ray, is returned to the painting and defeated. The painting now shows the four Ghostbusters with baby Oscar, the team of heroes, and get the key to the city. And that's Ghostbusters 2. Very nicely done. And, you know, it's funny because just, just listening to that part, it does make me think about kind of the sort of questions that, that led me to come up with the concept for this podcast in the first place. Like where yeah. like the museum guy, like director comes the next day and is like, where's this priceless painting that you've been restoring yeah. for the past six months? What, what happened to it now? It's gone. It's been replaced. Like, how do you explain that? But I guess when the Ghostbusters are involved, that sort of would explain it. It makes national news yeah, it's, probably. Yeah, that's so. a good point. Yeah, suddenly it's got these people on. Right. I always found it a bit odd that the painting did change, to be honest. Right. Right, yeah. I never, I never saw the point of doing that. It doesn't really make sense. No. But that's all right. We'll let them slide. Yeah. Yeah, it'll go. Okay, then. So what have you got for your 
day after the events of Ghostbusters 2. Okay, well, after the hubbub dies down, the mayor appoints the Ghostbusters as special liaisons for paranormal activity to the state of New York. While it stops short of making them employees of the government, it affords them the ability to not have to worry about being shut down anymore. They continue in the ghostbusting business, and New York City never really runs out of spooks, specters, and free-floating vapors to take down. <laughs> Very good. They also score a sponsorship with Twinkies, which puts their likenesses on snack cake boxes all over the country and ensures the <laughs> Ghostbusters' financial freedom. Brilliant. Uh, as a side note, they also inked a, a, um, a sponsorship deal with Magic Shell. You know, the, the stuff you put on ice cream and then it gets hard and makes like a cracky shell. Do you know that stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. They do like a special okay. strawberry one, though, so it looks like the museum at the end of the movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. so that's a little extra uh, sponsorship deal. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so a few months later, Janine proposes to Egon and they get married. At the wedding, Peter Venkman gives a slightly inappropriate speech and several of Egon's <laughs> dead ancestors show up in ghost form to celebrate. I would have loved to hear that speech. Yeah, right? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, The Ghostbusters have learned that they really only ever have to trap the malevolent spirits as those like Egon's family exist without bothering anybody so they can pretty much enjoy the wedding and then return to the afterlife. Across the country in California, a man named Frank Bannister and his wife Lucy are watching the media coverage of the wedding when they both gasp. In a shot of the four Ghostbusters, they can clearly see ghostly numbers glowing on each of their foreheads. Frank Bannister, why do I know that name? Now, for those of you who might not be familiar, because I, I kind of went a little deep cut on this one, and I'm going to say, uh, Frank Bannister... Oh, hold on. Go, yeah, hold on. Is it the Frighteners? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, got it. Yeah. So so for those of you not familiar, Fra- the Frighteners, um, Frank Bannister and Lucy are characters from the movie The Frighteners, which was one of Peter Jackson's early pre-Lord of the Rings films. It's an utterly fantastic movie that I'm a huge fan of, uh, and it deals with ghosts and... Um, it stars Michael J. Fox as Frank Bannister, and it's fantastic. So, oh, I need to, I need to watch that again. Yeah. I want to watch it right now. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's, great, it's film. great. If you haven't seen it, uh, definitely go watch it, and then my ending will make a whole lot more sense. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I'm going to hope that because our listeners are the best listeners in the world, and they have the most you know widespread movie knowledge, that everybody who's listening to this has already seen The Frighteners and already knows that it's one of the greatest horror comedies of all time. Oh, of course, everybody. Out there listening will have been watching. Absolutely. They're all going to be like, please. We, we knew who Frank Bannister was the minute you said his name. <laughs> so that's what I'm expecting. Oh, nice. Nice introducing them. Thank Very you. good. All right. So tell us uh, about your uh, day after, Phil. Okay. The Ghostbusters are heroes at last. Everyone loves them. They do lots of interviews with the media and prepare to reopen for business properly. Egon and Ray are already planning new tech. The mayor also says they will get some funding from the city to aid them because he's seen them save the city twice. Peter and da- Dana... Cautiously rekindle the relationship. They got burnt last time. They're not expecting much, but they're going to see how it goes. Winston is glad to stop doing the kids' parties and he decides that they all need to implement a new fitness regime as they're all in poor shape. And uh, they felt a bit destroyed after this last one. He also suggests that he could start selling franchises for the business. Hearing this, Fenkman really likes that idea. And that's the end of my day after. I like it. A franchise of the Ghostbusters. I, I see lots of possibilities here, Phil. I'm excited to uh, to hear where it goes. Thank you. Okay, so what about your immediate aftermath? All right, well, Frank and Lucy fly to New York to visit the Ghostbusters. They tell the team about the ghost of Johnny Bartlett and how they worry that he and his girlfriend Patricia, their ghosts, might have somehow escaped from hell, which they were trapped in at the end of The Frighteners, for those of you who haven't seen it. Spoiler alert. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know oh, about yeah, a way For to new do listeners, that. we usually give spoiler alerts after the spoiler. Yeah, sorry. 
Venkman and Winston aren't too worried about it, but Janine, a newlywed worried about her new husband, convinces Egon and Ray to look into it. They use a spectral spectrometer to reveal that the glowing numbers on their foreheads really are there, and realizing that Frank and Lucy are telling the truth, get to work. While Peter and Winston continue the day-to-day ghostbusting, Ray and Egon reach out to Egon's deceased relatives, who tell him that Johnny and Patricia's ghosts have escaped hell as a result of the whole mood slime incident, which weakened the walls between earth and heaven and hell. With the threat now very real, the Ghostbusters and Frank and Lucy set to work trying to prepare to recapture Johnny and Patricia's ghosts before they can start killing again. That's my immediate aftermath. I like that way that all ties in. You could have had a genuine crossover. Yeah, it would be neat to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. I I definitely, when I was writing this, I definitely visualized, like, Michael J. Fox, like, you know, with the Ghostbusters having this big sort of thing going, you know. Oh, that's that's good, though. I didn't even think of that. Very good. So get on that, Hollywood. Yeah. You heard it. (laughs) Ghost Frighteners. There you you go. All right. How about your immediate aftermath? Okay. After the events of New Year's Eve, there's been a constant flow of supernatural activity. The team are kept very busy. There are no huge-scale paranormal events, but there are some tricky moments, but they're all well. They get through it. There's lots of slime, different kinds of slime. You know, they get a bit gunked every now and again, but they all, they're all safe. None of them get uh, injured or anything. Egon has cracked the proton pack so that they no longer cause any property damage, which makes the mayor and uh, the people who own the buildings of New York very happy. And he also develops new equipment to help with their job. Peter and Dana's relationship is actually going very well, and both are extremely surprised by that. Turns out Peter's a natural father, and looking after Oscar has really leveled him out, and uh, yeah, they're getting on very well. Janine rejoins the company, and is now a consultant for the new Ghostbusters franchise. The first one opens in Chicago, then LA, then London, Tokyo, and it just keeps on spreading. And that's my immediate aftermath. Very nice. I like it. Thank you. Okay, so what have you got then for your long term? All right. What's going on with Bannister and the Ghostbusters? Okay, well, using Frank's suggestion, since he knows Johnny, the Ghostbusters give a press conference wherein they don't reveal that Johnny and Patricia's ghosts are free, but they mention them just in regards to research for a case. But they call the duo sniveling and cowardly, (laughs) knowing that this will bring them out of hiding. They set up at the firehouse, and sure enough, that night the ghosts come calling. The Ghostbusters try to trap them using their proton packs and traps, but the effect of having escaped from hell has made them immune. They want to get revenge on Frank for sending them to hell, and so Johnny and Patricia wreak havoc on the team and incapacitate them by using their ghostly powers to make them unable to move. As they're about to kill Lucy in order to torment Frank, Slimer, who's just awakened from a nap, flies out and attacks them. He swallows Patricia's ghost whole, which enrages Johnny. Frank uses the distraction to grab a proton pack and turns it on the Ghostbusters. He zaps them all, which causes their hearts to stop. Their ghosts float up, and the four of them quickly overpower Johnny. They tell Frank to open the trap in the living world, which causes a parallel trap beam to open in the ghost world. They force Johnny and a now-regurgitated Patricia into the beam, and they're sucked down into the trap. Lucy and Janine use defibrillators to revive the Ghostbusters team, and with everyone safe and sound, they recover from the ordeal... They realize that Frank and Lucy's ability to see ghosts can be a huge asset to the team. They offer them both full-time employment as Ghostbusters, and the couple accepts. And when the new team of six Ghostbusters debuts on the New York scene, there is absolutely zero backlash from the public about a female Ghostbuster because people aren't all stupid, misogynistic douchebags. <laughs> and that's the end. That has no bearing on real life whatsoever, What's by the that? way. Yeah, that seems like it was in reference to something. But I, sure I, can't, I mean, who, who would ever be upset about, like, female Ghostbusters? I mean, that's... Mm. That's such a stupid thing to get mad about. So, I mean, that, yeah. you know, I can't see it happening in the real world, but, you know. No, it never, never happened. No. no. 
Uh, people are more sensible than that. Yeah, I, I think but so. But no, I, I could really, I could see that really happen. Now the Frighteners and the Ghostbusters cross over and then become part of the team. Yeah, I think it's, I think it has a lot of fun potential. Damn, they should have done that. Would have been nice. Would have been nice. Yeah, oh, would have really worked. I mean, they could have done so much with the Ghostbusters back in the day. If they just carried on making them a bit closer to each other, they could have had at least a trilogy, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, it's funny too because you know Ghostbusters Two was a success, like you talked about. Yeah. So it's not like they didn't have the financial means to do it, but I think it's kind of a. You know, especially with Bill Murray in the mix, you know, it's sort of an odd yeah. group. And, you know, I think if the script wasn't there and, you know, I just – the sequels just weren't yeah. as planned out back then like they are now either, you know. You're right, yeah. So. If, I mean, if they'd had good scripts, Bill Murray would probably would have kept making them, right. I think, because it all depends upon the script for him, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, oh, well. What are you going to do? Oh, well. I know. So let's hear how your uh, long-term wraps up then, Phil, shall we? Okay. So the original team of Ghostbusters no longer go into the field. They are now all wealthy from the money the Ghostbusters is making from the various franchises around the world. However, Ray and Egon still work on the technology and research, which makes the job easier, and it gets shipped out to the various Ghostbusting branches around the globe. Peter does PR, and Winston is the head of the New York City branch, which now has a team of 10. Ghostbusters is a global success with branches in most major cities. The technology is safer and more reliable. However, the, uh, the Egon in particular has been trying to find out why the supernatural phenomena suddenly hit worldwide, but they can find nothing. They know something's going on, you know, in the uh, in the ghost dimension, but there's just nothing in any of the books. None of the ghosts they capture are talking. It's just they can't figure it out. However, time ticks on, and during a party to celebrate the Ghostbusters' 10th year of operations, which also coincides with Dana and Peter's 5th year of being married, a parcel is delivered. There's no return address. They open it, and inside is a strange brass statue. Peter takes it out and looks at it and makes some sarcastic quips and Ray starts reading the letter that was with it. Peter passes the statue around and they all have a good look at it and Ray suddenly panics and goes to grab the statue but it's too late. There's a blinding flash. Gozer has finally had his revenge. Reality is rewritten. Peter is now Martin Hayes, a paranormal debunker. Ray is a taxi driver. Winston is now a guy called Bill Jenkins who runs a funeral home. Dana is Rebecca, Rebecca, a scientist whose student, Gillian Holtzman, shows great potential. Egon is a lecturer at a New York University. And Oscar becomes a nice but dim chap called Kevin. <laughs> In the netherworld, Gozer gathers his strength to return. With the Ghostbusters out of the way, who are we going to call? Very nice. Very nicely done. <laughs> I was waiting to see how you were going to tie it in to the, to, you know, to the to the 2016 version because when you said franchises, I was like, well, there's got to be a connection, but I, I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't seeing it, but uh, that's brilliant. Well, it was just, a, it's just the fact that, oh, thank you very much. It was just the fact that 2016 version, it was had no mention of the, it, it wasn't a sequel in any way yet. They kept referencing the original film, so right. I thought something had happened, which is rewritten reality, so things have bled through and were there, and that's the whole idea. But Ghostbusters was there for originally, right? But uh, yeah. That was my. I thought that wrapped it all up. No, I love it. It's a great, great ending. Very, very well done. I, I, I like thank, that quite a bit. Thank you very much. Excellent. All right. Well, so that is our ending for Ghostbusters Two. Phil, I imagine you must have some trivia about the film. I have got some. Yes, a little bit. Uh, Max von Sydow dubbed all of Wilhelm von Hamburg's lines. He's the guy who played Vigo. Uh, there were two hundred visual effects used in the film because of the popularity of the real Ghostbusters cartoon with children. Ivan Reitman, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis made a conscious effort to tone down all the adult innuendo and, you know, more adult kind of things. So we, between the two films, all the Ghostbusters apparently gave up smoking and the ghosts aren't quite as frightening and had a closer appearance to the cartoon. And that explains why Janine was also a little bit different. They were trying to make it 
closer to the cartoon for some reason, right. which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, it's interesting because I love the real Ghostbusters cartoon, but I wonder if yeah, yeah. that change is partially why people don't like this movie as much. I, I think it could um, be. You know, I, I think it gets a bit of a bad rap because I, I do like it very much. I think it is actually a very good movie. I, it's very funny. I, I, there's a lot of stuff in it that I love, but I think when you're coming after – Ghostbusters, which is one of the greatest movies of all time, you know, it's yeah. it's definitely a letdown. Yeah. But I wonder if it's those changes that sort of, you know, that people, you know, were disappointed in. Yeah, I think the tone just changed a bit. I mean, they shouldn't – the cartoon was popular, but it was still popular, so they should have had the film. The, the film would have still made a ton of money. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and the term proton pack was never officially used on screen until the Ghostbusters were in the subway tunnel, and Egon says – before we go any further, I think we should get our proton packs. The shot of the actor one on the verge of breaking down at the start of the film was quite fitting, as when they were doing that, the car finally did break down. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Carpathia was also the name of the ship that rescued survivors from the Titanic oh, in right. real life. And the Titanic appears in the film. Yes, yes, very cool. I do like that scene quite a bit, actually. All right, well, let's move on then to our Mighty Morphing mini feature, which this week is our New Year's movie resolutions. Phil... What the heck do we mean by that? Well, it's now 2017, and I'm sure many of you out there have done some kind of New Year resolution. And like me, you've probably already gone, oh, bugger, you know, I'm not going to bother anymore. <laughs> right. you've, probably messed, you've probably messed it up, to be honest. But we, all, we always do it, even people who say, I'm not going to do a New Year's resolution. In the back of your mind, there's probably something where you're going, well, I'll do this, I'll do that, I won't do this and things. But this time, me and Mike are going to be talking about a couple of movie-related resolutions we have made for this year. Right. It's uh, yeah. Like for example, one a resolution I could make would be I'm going to be nicer to Ridley Scott. That's not a resolution I'm going to make, <laughs> but it could be. You know, it's that that's the type of thing that we could do. You know, something that movie-related. Yeah. Uh, you know, that we want to try and do do more of or be more successful at here in the new year. So. Yeah. Well, after watching Prometheus again. As one of the first films I watched this new year, uh, Ridley Scott, no, still. <laughs> he doesn't deserve I, it. All right, well, uh, Phil, you want to kick things off then, or you want me to take it? Uh, no, I'll go with the first All one. All right, go ahead. The first one, uh, my New Year's movie resolution is to watch a film a day. Okay, that is lofty Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I try to do it every year, and I always fail miserably. And so far, we're on the 5th of January, and I've watched three films so far now i'm not a math expert by any stretch of the imagination but what limited math skills i possess tell me that you then are not living up to your resolution just oh you saw it you saw it yeah (laughs) oh no no but i'm going to try this weekend i'm going to try and uh well i will be catching up because i've got a few films going to watch and hopefully go to the cinema as well to go see uh, Scorsese's new film, Silence. Right. So is then, the goal then to finish the year with 365 films under your belt? Or is it to watch yes. one every single day each? It's sort of. It's, or kind it's of a, a hybrid? Bit of both. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a hybrid. I got you. Yeah. So, so one it's a day, only, yeah. but then if you miss one, you can make it up. Yeah. And also, you know, if I watch more than one. Right. I can, you know, go, oh, I've got a day off. <laughs> right, you can bank Not that it. It's a yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah, but no, because uh, and especially because uh, I was checking Netflix the other day, and there's lots of uh, good films on there. Quite a few from last year, which I, I missed. So I'm gonna looking forward to getting stuck into them. Right, right, great. That is a good one. Okay, so what about your uh, first New Year's movie resolution? Well, mine is I'm going to try and watch less Jilted Shark Lover movies. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's actually two categories of movies that I'm going to try and watch less of. Uh, one is um, shark movies, not shark movies per se, but like 
I have a weakness for like giant creature films. You know, you give me like your your sharktopus or your giant crocodile or you know your thirty foot snake or whatever, and, I, and I'll watch almost any of them. And and you know the problem well, is now that they you've got to watch them. You do, but there's so many of them now that I get sucked yeah, into them. And they're true, they're, yeah. they're the problem is they're not making good ones anymore. They're making them all straight to the Sci Fi Channel. And they're largely terrible. And I waste yeah, a lot of time a, right. watching Shark they're and Terrible Saw. as well. They're not even so bad they're good, are they, anymore? Right. Exactly. They're just bad. Like I watched Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre, which we talked about. And yeah. it was horrendous. I mean, it wasn't even enjoyably bad. So that's just my, time of my life I'm never going to get back. So I need to watch less of those movies. And then um, the other category is these these Jilted Lover movie type things, which the latest of which is When the Bow Breaks. Uh, they've also oh, had yeah, like you yeah. know, the perfect guy, and you know when the hand rocks the cradle, which is you know a great yeah, movie. Obsession was another yeah, obsession. One, like all these, you know, it's the same plot and it's almost the same actors. Like Morris Chestnut is <laughs> in uh, When the Bow Breaks. He was also in the Perfect Guy, which came out last year. And there's you know, oh yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's these movies where it's it's you know the 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 girlfriend she breaks up with the guy, or you know, in you know the, it's the surrogate baby mother or the nanny or somebody they fall in love with the husband, they want the kid, whatever you know, and then you know they they hunt the wife for the girlfriend or the husband whatever it's it's all the same movie it's over and over again um, yeah it's was, always like really expensive houses as yeah, well yeah yeah he's right exactly there was the, the boy next door I think was one with Jennifer Lopez a year or two back that I watched oh yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. you know it's always the same like you said it's always these people in these fancy rich neighborhoods and someone falls in love and they kill their bunny you know even Fatal Attraction I mean that's a classic <laughs> of course but you know what I'm saying it's just what happens is they went from being these movies like Fatal Attraction and, and Hand That Rocks the Cradle which were you know really great thrillers and now they just sort of turn them out because they're quick and they usually turn a buck so um and i like thrillers so i tend to watch them but it's really been just diminishing returns and you know i've, I've just gotten less and less out of them and they're more and more generic and and so I, you know anytime i see a thriller i'm automatically like sucked like i'm like oh i should watch this but i, I need to watch less of them because it's time in my life i'm not getting back so that's a that's a very good one because yeah you're right there's the, the, there are genres of films like that where it's just same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have people complaining and go, "Oh my god, so many comic book movies!" And then there's about six in the year. But then you get those kind of films. You get loads of them every year. Yeah. Or like other particular genres, like the shark things or the giant creature ones. Nobody, nobody actually complains about that. Right. Right. Which I always find a bit odd. Yeah. But no, it's a good one. Thank you. It's a very good one. All right. What else you got? Okay, my uh, other movie resolution for this year, which sort of ties in with the first one, is to go through and watch as many of the films on my various various streaming services lists that are put in there to watch later because it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> right. And and it's whenever I do go to watch a film, it's usually something which isn't in the list. Right, right, right. I know what you mean. And then while, you, while you're looking for that thing, you, you're adding so many more to the list and you're going, oh, yeah, I'll watch that another time. Right. And you just never get around to it. Yep. So I want to try and bring that down as well because, I mean, I've got some classic films in there which I love, which uh, – haven't seen in years or there's other films which you know i know i've had really good reviews and want to see then there's all the schlocky things i mean some of the ones you mentioned the creature features and things like that which you want to see just to see if they are as bad as people say and what have you right but there's just so many of them and there's like cool documentaries and you, things you've sort of heard about and what always gets me nowadays because i report on all these films getting made and you're going oh i'll see that when it comes in the pictures and it's like a few months go by and suddenly it's on like netflix or amazon or whatever streaming service and you're going well when was it on the pictures what happened <laughs> right. where is it right Yep, I know exactly what you mean. So I need to I need to bring that down. So I need to watch more films and in particular more films off those lists. Very good. Just to bring it down. Sure. Take the stress off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of, the, <laughs> it's one of those silly stress things that you put on yourself, right. which isn't stressful in the slightest, but you make it, it 
like that way. Right. But uh, hopefully, we'll see where we are. I'm sure in December I'll be going. No, we didn't. <laughs> well, we'll check back in in December yes. and we'll find out. But I, I do know exactly what you mean. I, I am very much the same way. I have lists, and you know, then I pick other things, and so I, I get it completely. So it's a good, good yeah, resolution. Or you, or you, or you get sucked into like a, a TV show, which is you know. And watch watch your Lemmy go. I won't I won't watch your film. I haven't got time. And then you end up watching three or four episodes of like <laughs> right. a series which are like an hour long. Yeah, each and you're and like, going, well, oh, I did have time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, what about your second one? Uh, my second one is you know I have all this free time that I'm going to have from not watching these shark you know lover movies. Um, <laughs> so I want to watch. It is going to be a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch more uh, classic Hollywood films. Um, and and I have a pretty you know we've done a lot of the classic movie years in our in our hundred years of Hollywood feature and I have a pretty you know widespread range of of classic films I think I've seen more than maybe some you know average moviegoers have but um, I also have a nice big stack of like really great classic Blu-rays um, and DVDs waiting to be watched in, in you know in my living room and um, yeah. Some of them are very iconic films, which I, you know, some of which I've, I've never seen. Uh, and, you know, but and what's tough is sometimes, like, you know, it's late at night and I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, I just enough time to watch a movie. It's like, well, do I want to watch some, you know, mindless action Vin Diesel film or do I want to watch, like, you know, a 50 year old, you know, drama that won 12 Academy Awards? And it's like, you know, I know that the classic film will be rewarding and I love classic movies. It's not like I watch them just to watch them. I, I do really enjoy yeah, them, but yeah. sometimes I'm just in the mood for, for you know, no brain popcorn. Uh, you know, action, and unfortunately, that mood strikes me a little more often. So. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but some of some of those classics, yeah, you do you do want to be alert and just savor it and let it all just seep right, in. Right, exactly. So I just I want to make more of an effort to kind of be in the mood to watch those a little bit more often than I than I have been in the past. Yeah. Second. Well, it's, it's something it's something actually we all should do. Right. Right. If it's a good film, it's a good film, and you're going to enjoy it no matter what. Exactly. Well, speaking of good films, then why don't we move on to 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, which is where we take a year uh, from the past hundred years and share our top ten movies from that year. Yes, it's uh, it's going to be. I think I quite like my list, but I think if we do it again in about six months' time, it'd probably be different. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, the it's order might have changed on some of them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we still. There were still a few films I didn't catch yeah. from last year. Yeah, but... there's always going to be some omissions for things like that. Yeah. But um, let's uh, well, let's jump into things. So obviously we're doing 2016, as we mentioned at the top of the episode. Uh, so these are all very recent films. Phil, why don't you take us back in time to last year and tell us what was going on for everyone who's forgotten because it's been so long. Yes, 2016. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, something That's probably like the that. best way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. So I want to leave out some of the big events from last year and some of the lousy ones because we all know what happened uh, but i will be doing we always do like celebrity births and deaths but as it was last year we don't know what births are gonna you know <laughs> right. bring us you know movie stars in the future but we'll be going through some deaths as well and sadly it's a, a long list right. but I'll, I'll, but okay some of the events from last year which you probably you may not have heard but uh, mathematicians discovered a new prime number Ooh. which was two to the power of seven four two oh seven two eight one Oh, dash one. I could have told them that if they just asked me. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the first one I came so to my head when right. I was reading about right. this. Right, when you yeah. say prime numbers, that's what pops to my head. Yeah, yeah, that, that's my favorite prime number. <laughs> <laughs> Water ice was found on the surface of Comet 67P, so there's a, a horror film waiting to be yeah. made there yeah. with life found in it. Sure. Uh, also, another plot for a film here, a successful head transplant on a monkey was reported in China. Uh, mm -hmm. Scary. Astro astronomers at California Institute of Technology provided... Evidence of a ninth planet in our solar system, which orbits the sun every 15,000 years. Wow. 
Uh, two paintings by Van Gogh, or Van Gogh, if you live in America, uh, stolen in 2002, were recovered. Cool. Oxygen was detected on the surface of Mars. Mm. Samsung announced a 256-gigabyte microSD card. And SanDisk, not to be trumped, announced the first one-terabyte SD card. Jeez. Uh, the, I know, it's crazy that isn't a one-terabyte SD card. I remember getting a computer when I was a kid, and there was like a few meg. Yeah, 10, 10 megabytes was my and, first computer. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and the guy was going, that's all you'll need. We'll never know. <laughs> right. uh, the Greenland shark was found to be the longest-living vertebrate, and it lives... So far, we think it lives about 400 years. Wow. And NASA's Juno spacecraft entered orbit around Jupiter. Yeah, another another movie so, plot, potentially. Yeah, I know, yeah, but there was uh, lots of cool things happened last year. I mean, it's always the bad news or the things that you weren't expecting, which oh, you always remember, but there's always good things. Right, right. That's what I like remember. it. I like that you did that. But now I'll go on to the list of celebrity deaths. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> so sit yourself yeah, down. Yeah, get a drink. Yeah, there was some legend. Every year we lose legends, but last year there was big, big legends. Yep. Okay, sadly, we lost David Bowie, Alan Rickman, Glenn Frey, Frank Finley, Terry Wogan, Morris White, Umberto Echo, Harper Lee, which Ironic. sadly fits yeah. in, yes, with our episode today. Uh, Boutros Boutros Ghali, Zaza Gabor, George Kennedy, Anton Yelchin, which still yeah, really, yeah, really sad. That one. that one hurts. Nancy Reagan, Rick Parfitt, Keith Emerson, Patty Duke, Prince, George Michael, Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, or Larry Drake, Muhammad Ali, Kenny Baker, Gene Wilder, Arnold Palmer, Alexis Arquette, Bill Nunn, Pete Burns, Leonard Cohen, Bobby V, Robert Vaughan, Castro, Ron Glass, John Glenn, Alan Thicke, and many, many more. Yeah, it was a tough year, for, for sure. Mm. But, all right, yeah. well, let's move on to happier subjects then, and let's dive into our top ten list, shall we? Yes. Who's going first? Uh, I guess I will, since you went first on the mini feature. Go on then. All right. What's your number 10 for 2016? My number 10, kind of a surprise even to me, uh, and that is War Dogs, starring Miles Teller and Jonah Hill, uh, and directed by Todd Phillips, the man who is responsible for the Hangover trilogy. Um, part of why it's surprising to me, because I'm not a fan of the Hangover <laughs> films whatsoever. Um, and, uh, you know, he's mostly made comedies, and this is not a comedy per se say, although it has a lot of comedy in it. Um, but it's the true story of two young men who end up selling hundreds of millions of dollars of arms to the American military. And, you know, I didn't expect much from it, but I thought it was an interesting story. I always like Miles Teller, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, I really liked it. It's it's just a really interesting story. It's well told. Miles Teller is fantastic. Uh, Jonah Hill kind of plays Jonah Hill, but it, it fits the role. Um, you know, it's not a big stretch for him. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's there's nothing... There's nothing groundbreaking about it. It's nothing all that spectacular. But when I was making my list, it just kind of kept catching my eye. Like I put it on my list of like potentials. And as I was moving things around, like War Dogs just sort of kept creeping back in there. Like, you know, I just it's just a movie that I, I really enjoyed. So it, it snuck in at number 10. It's funny that it was, uh, I really enjoyed it when I saw it as well. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting much, to be honest. Right, right. Exactly. But, uh, and it was, in, it was in and out of my list a few times. It didn't make the final list. Right. And I can understand that. Uh, I mean, I, there are definitely some films that I left off that maybe I like better. I don't, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but like I said, yeah, it just sort of kept yeah. catching my eye and being like, "Hey, I, I was really good." So, so I, I, I made the list. Okay, my number ten is a film called "The Fundamentals of Caring." It didn't get a cinema release, but it was on uh, Netflix. Hmm. It's written and directed by Rob Burnett and stars uh, Paul Rudd, Craig Roberts, Selena Gomez, and Jennifer L. And it's about uh, Paul Rudd's character Ben, who's a retired writer. Uh, tragedy happens in his past, and he ends up becoming a carer for this this young boy Trevor, 
played by Craig Roberts, who's got muscular dystrophy, and his mum Elsa is always worried about him, and ends up uh, Paul Rudd's character takes Trevor on a road trip where they meet Selena Gomez, and they do they get into various scrapes. It's uh, it's very touching, very funny, and it just I just really enjoyed it. I wasn't ex- I didn't know what I was expecting to be honest. I like everybody involved, uh, but it just I just thought it was a brilliant little movie. Great, very. Yeah, really well worth checking out if you haven't seen it. I have not seen it, and I will definitely check it out. I'm a big Paul Rudd fan, so I will uh, certainly take a look at that. Yeah, it's a very nice film. All right, well, my number nine is... Let me do that one more time. All right, well, my number nine is Jason Bourne, starring Matt Damon, directed by Paul Greengrass. And uh, this is another interesting kind of surprising one for me in that I'm not the biggest fan of the Bourne franchise overall. Like I like the movies. I, I enjoy them very much. I have nothing against them. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not good movies, but there are those kinds of films that, you know, I, I saw them once in the theaters. I don't think I ever went back to really rewatch them. You know, I always watched them. I enjoyed them. I was like, Oh, that was a good film. I, you know, it's pretty action packed. I mean, you know, they're, they're good kick butt action movies, but never the ones that I felt like, Oh, I need to have the poster on my wall or the t-shirt or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I watched this latest one because I, you know, I, I, I like the franchise and I really enjoyed it. It's just, um, it's, you know, it's a pretty slim plot, kind of like the rest of them. And I think part of it maybe has to do with that the sort of mystery of who Jason Bourne is was solved in the original trilogy with Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah. And so while there is a mystery at play in this one, it's not about who he is as much. I mean, it sort of is, but it sort of isn't. Yeah. So because of that, I feel like it made the film more enjoyable in that you could just sort of focus in on the action, which they amped up big time. Um, and some of the set pieces, like the the, the Las Vegas car chase, you know. Uh, and, that was a good chase. Though. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, I just – I. Really enjoyed it. I just thought that, you know, the, the scenes, you know, the the action scenes were just phenomenal. And it was just a really good, like, pulse-pounding film. I just kind of sat there and was like, this is awesome, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I saw that as well. I saw that quite recently, to be honest. I missed it at the cinema. But uh, I, I do like all the Jason Bourne films. Uh, this one, there was the guy, there's always a guy in a room with the monitors going, that's Jason Bourne. Oh, right. oh my God. Do you know who that is? It, right. it just seemed to be... I'm not saying cliche, but just seem to be picking and choosing. Very, it seemed to be like a mashup of uh, the previous films. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't but, argue but still, with that. I, very enjoyable, and I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was going to be compared to some of the reviews I'd read about. Right, it. right. Okay, so my number nine is Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers film starring Josh Brolin, George Clooney, uh, the young Han Solo, Alden, Aaron Rick, Ray Fiennes. What did it were so? What did it were? What did it were so? Uh, Scott Johansson, Tilda Swinton, oh, it's got loads of people. Oh, and Channing Tatum yep, as well. Yep, yep. It's, uh, I didn't know what to expect going into this one. I, I'd read different things, you know, it was going to be musical, things like this, bits and pieces. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Coen brothers, and I read, although some of them, some of the, couple of the films I haven't really liked, they haven't quite hit. But this one I really liked. There was uh, great acting. The story, as with the Coen brothers, is a bit by the by. The story isn't always that important. It's what goes on, the people, the characters, and things like that. But I, I thought everybody in it, did brilliantly some funny little scenes like the Ray Fiennes but it did worse so just had me in stitches uh, it was good seeing Alden Ehrenreich I thought he was brilliant in it mm-hmm. even though he doesn't actually do that much right uh, and it just it just evoked the uh, the golden era of Hollywood and had some very silly people doing stupid things <laughs> right uh, I very I agree yeah great film <laughs> <laughs> for sure thank you all right well my number eight is Zootopia or as I believe it was called on your side of the world Zootropolis was that what it was 
Yeah, I just I ended up getting really confused when I was writing about it. I always had to put the both. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know why it. they did that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I'm not sure whether we just, there was a TV show over here or something called Over Your Side, which right. Which I, I still can't figure it. I out. I don't know. Well, anyway, Zootopia yeah. is what I'm going to call it. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's the, obviously it was a big, huge hit for Disney. Um, and it's about it sort of you know is about like racism and prejudice, but in a Disney world, um, not Disney World, the theme park, you know, but in a sort of you know a Disney. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a film, right? <laughs> a Disney-fied world full, you know, populated by animals. But the thing for me was. Um, when I when I saw the trailers for Zootopia, I I was so unimpressed. I just didn't think it looked very good at all. I was like, this movie doesn't look. There's nothing about this trailer that makes me want to see this movie. And then it had a huge opening weekend, and I was like, really? Off of that trailer? Like, why is everyone flocking to see it? <laughs> and then, which I still don't understand, to be honest with you. I don't. I understand why the movie did well. I don't understand why it had such a big opening. But regardless, yeah, it's a, it's a good point, that yeah. Because I just didn't think. I still don't think the trailer is very good for it. But it, it opened mm. big, and then of course word of mouth carried it. It became a monster size hit for disney and uh, you know i i remained convinced i wasn't going to enjoy it until i finally watched it and i was so surprised by how good it is it is smart and it is funny and it has a great message and jason bateman who you know i'm hit or miss with he's fantastic he he you know in this this character of this fox thief yeah um, very good and it's just you know it's it's funny and charming and i really really enjoyed it and now i get why it was a big hit um, and so, you know, obviously, as we know, I love Disney films, but this one, you know, really took me by surprise. And, and I have to admit to thinking it's it's not just an enjoyable film to me. I think it's actually is a really great film. You know, like I think it will stand the test yeah. of time in the in the Disney pantheon. That's, that's the thing as well. I mean, it didn't make my list, but I really enjoyed it as well. I love the fact it was a really good mystery story. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, because it was uh, you. You don't usually get a good story like that in the uh, or the very slight stories in animated films. Right. But this one there was a bit, bit more to it. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, well, it was like a classic. It was basically a classic film noir, but sort of <laughs> right. mixed in with this this crazy world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So definitely a, a big hit for me. Oh, very good. Okay, my number eight was uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Okay, uh, which uh, maybe I've seen it twice. The first time I thought the opening was a little bit mishmash all over the place, but I saw it again. And it sort of it worked a lot better for me the second time. Okay. Uh, there's loads of good bits. I love seeing it. The fact it was so close to a new hope and things like that, and seeing the various characters, and especially Darth Vader at the end. I won't go into too much detail because it's still relatively right. No spoilers well, it's been out for here. a while, but yeah, don't want to give too many spoilers. <laughs> but uh, it's I really enjoyed it. It was a cracking bit of Star Wars. It felt like Star Wars. There was lots of 1970s mustaches on the side of the rebels. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't want to spoil, it, but uh, and I think maybe. If I see it a few more times, it might be higher on the list. I don't know. Right, I can understand that. But uh, but uh, it's my number eight for the moment. All right, fair enough. Well, my number seven is Kubo and the Two Strings, which is a an utterly amazing animated film from Leica Studios, who also brought us uh, Coraline and Paranorman and the Box Trolls, um, most of which I'm a fan of. But uh, it's a stop-motion animation, although you wouldn't know it by watching it. I actually, the first few times I saw the trailer, I just assumed it was a CGI movie, and it wasn't until I heard someone yeah, talking about it. Yeah, yeah right? That, you know, I, I said, wait, wait a minute, that's a stop-motion film? Man, it's so fantastic. Like, what they accomplish with the stop-motion f- is mind-blowing. There are some action scenes 
scenes in this movie that rival anything in any live action yeah, yeah. Hollywood blockbuster. The fight between the monkey and the evil sister on the boat. Oh, I was going to say is, that's a, that's an amazing. That's the one I oh was thinking. Oh my god, of, yeah. it 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 is just unbelievable. But and it has this great story, and it has great characters, has a lot of humor and a lot of warmth, and it's a really neat message, kind of about you know parenting and and love and you know just good characters and just visually just stunning. Um, but I you know. I really watched – I really, really enjoyed it. And what's nice is I had really wanted to see it in theaters and I didn't get a chance to. And um, when I got the Blu-ray, I said, we're going we're gonna to sit down and watch this. And I, I knew my wife really didn't want to see it. She, she had very little hopes for liking this movie and she loved it. Um, and so I always feel like that's a good sign when you have somebody who has no interest in watching something and it completely wins them over. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that's a good sign. And so I know Kubo, um, you know – it did okay in the theaters, but it's definitely what I would consider uh, an overlooked film. If you have not seen it, whether you have kids or not, because it's really not a kids' film per se. Um, I, yeah, it's all, it touches on like death and all yeah. sorts of things. And it's it? got some dark moments. I actually don't recommend it for younger, younger kids, you know? No. Um, no. But it's because it has some kind of mildly scary moments to it, but I really highly recommend it. It's it's fantastic stuff. Yeah, well, it's a, it, it was in my list for a while and it came out, and it's it's not in my list now, but it's a, it is a cracking movie. Yeah. I just say the stop motion, you see someone behind the scenes and doing it, it's just, it always blows me away the patience they uh, have to I don't, do that. I don't know how they do it, it's unbelievable. Okay, and my number seven is The Nice Guys by Shane Black. Ah, yes. He directed it and wrote it with Anthony Bagarusi, and it stars Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling. But it's a great film. I do like Shane Black's films, even though they can be considered to be very similar. Like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang has similar kind of setup. But this one is set in the 70s and features a private detective and a sort of hard man teaming up to investigate the disappearance of a teenage girl. It's got cracking dialogue, funny funny banter repartee between Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. It's nice to see Ryan Gosling not, you know, acting and doing, you know, the comedy thing. I think he's really good at comedy and when he's not trying to be all, you know, driver. Right. I remember right. my impression of driver, you know, in drive, my impression of me, I'll do it again. Spot on, man. Spot on. Yeah, I think it's got even better. I think I think you're right actually. Yeah. You've I can mm-hmm. tell you've been working on that one. Mm. Did you feel because the emotion I was putting into that was amazing? It was. It, I could. I mean, I could feel it, man. Feel it. Oh, sorry. I just uh, <laughs> almost, almost cried. Then. <laughs> uh, we did uh, after the ending for Drive in episode eighteen. If you want to go back and listen to that, yes, and, and then you'll understand. What we <laughs> right, saying, that that whole bit will make more sense then. Yeah. Uh, okay, but the nice guys. It's uh, has great performances, great script, and again, it's the story is by the by. It's just a. It's just a, a vehicle to get these characters together. And for events to happen, people to get shot. You get so many random people who are getting shot right. who have no bearing on the thing, which is a bit bit bizarre. But uh, And also, it's set in the 70s, and the set design and the CGI, which you can't tell it's CGI, but it makes the city of Los Angeles look like it's in the 70s. is just amazing. I really enjoyed it. It made me laugh out loud in so many places. And it's well worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, it did not make my list, I will say. I do like Shane Black very much. I enjoyed The Nice Guys very much. It just, you know, it just got edged out. But it's definitely worth watching, for sure. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, so what have you got for your number six? All right, my number six has already appeared on your list, and it is Hail Caesar. 
Uh, which, uh, you know, I'm not a Coen Brothers fan, of we, as we've talked about. Yeah, in I know, because I was so, so surprised. Yeah, I, but, uh... I uh, generally am not a fan of their movies overall, uh, but I absolutely loved Hail Caesar. I think it's like a love letter to the the classic golden age of Hollywood. Um, you know, it's, it's it's funny. It's got, I think, an interesting enough story. I know it's never the focus in a Coen Brothers uh, yeah. film, but I thought it was interesting enough to see how all the kind of loose ends wrapped up. Um, the performances are terrific. Uh, like you said, the bit with Alden Ehrenreich and, and Ray Fine. Is, is terrific, what, and what and for me, so. what really what really made the film, you know, what kind of capped it all was was Channing Tatum's dance number um, in the film, the musical. Yeah, it was, number. it was proper old school dance, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, and it's so well done, and it, it, it's so well done because what it does is it it perfectly gets the old school musical dancing right. At the same time, it pays tribute to it and parodies it. Yes, and it, yeah, and it exactly, works yeah, in yeah. some kind of off-color humor. <laughs> Just a bit, you know, yeah. and, and but it, and it makes it all work seamlessly. And it doesn't even need to be in the movie because it doesn't really do anything for the plot. But it's such an integral part of it that it, the film wouldn't be the same without it. And I don't care if you like musicals. If you don't like musicals, it doesn't matter. This scene with Channing Tatum, it's so good. I made my wife watch just that scene because she didn't watch the movie. But I was like, you have to see this dance number because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. And you watch it and you laugh and you smile and it's just – it's fantastic. And that kind of cemented the whole movie for me. Although I like the movie as a whole. I love it. That's the part for me that is just sheer brilliance. Okay. My number six, I cheated. Okay. Because because there's a otherwise it'd be like it's basically a f- three comic book movies because I really like them all okay. and I didn't want my list just to be full of a comic book movies. Fair enough. Even though I'm a big comic book fan, right. I love comic book films. But anyway, yeah, it's Captain America: Civil War, Deadpool, and Doctor Strange. Very good. And because I I love them all for different reasons. I think Deadpool because they absolutely nailed the character, got it right. It was very funny, dark, twisted, uh, lots of breaking the fourth wall. Ryan Reynolds was born to play the role of Deadpool, yep. and they just they got it spot on. Uh, Doctor Strange, because I never ever thought we'd be see be seeing Doctor Strange on the big screen, and it was uh, I was a bit cautious about it. I was I, I've always quite liked the character, but even so, in the comics, they've never they always sort of run out of steam with him. I always think they never quite know what to do with him. But I thought this was a great intro. Uh, once I got over Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent, <laughs> I, I really liked. It. I thought the effects were great. I want one of those sling rings or yeah. a dreadful name for teleportation. Yeah. Uh, the effects of like. All the, the houses bending and things, even though from the trailer I thought it was all going to be, you know, Christopher Nolan and Inception kind of thing. It's, <laughs> right. It worked very well, and it was just a great way of a different look at the Marvel Universe and set it up really well. And I think people were quite surprised by it. And the, the trippiness of the whole open your mind thing when he's thrown through the multiverse yeah. was incredible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really, that. And Captain America Civil War, I just thought that was a cracking story. You got all the characters together. Uh, you have the big battle between the, diff- the various sides of heroes. We got Black Panther, see the Winter Soldier again. Uh, also, oh yeah, of course Spider Man right. introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is amazing, and it was just lots of fun. But those three comic book movies, I really like them all, and that's why they're all my number six. Very good. That is, uh, is hard to argue with any of that. Nicely, nicely done. Thank you. Yes, I, I know. I know it is a bit of a cheat, but I hope everybody understands. That's all right. I, I, I don't care, so that's all that matters. <laughs> well, my number five is Doctor Strange. Um, yeah. and, and for all the reasons that you just said, you know, I've never been that big a fan of the character, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I, I, I've generally come to accept that Marvel can't really, you know, 
do can do very little wrong in their movies. But um, this yeah. was one like you, I was cautious about because the, again, the trailer didn't have me that excited. Like I watched the trailer, I thought, oh, that looks neat, you know, and I thought Benedict Cumberbatch looked looked amazing because he looks just like the character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but it just didn't get me like excited, excited. You know, it wasn't like, oh man, I so can't wait for this movie. Um, and then I watched it and I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot better than I expected it to be. And it wasn't like I had low expectations. You know, I just thought it would be another good Marvel movie. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the story was good. The effects were great. The action was great. It was kind of trippy. Like you said, a little different look at the Marvel universe. Um, but I found it to be supremely enjoyable. Um, no pun intended, because yeah. he's the Sorcerer Supreme. I didn't do that on purpose, <laughs> yeah. but oh, very good. Um, but yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. By the it. Hurry House of Hogarth, that was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's my number five. Brilliant, I like that. Okay, my number five is Bloodfather. Oh, good choice. Yes, this is a this is a film starring Mel Gibson and Aaron Moriarty, Diego Luna, who was in Rogue One. He was Casian, uh, Michael Parks, and William H Macy. But it's uh, it's good to. To be honest, it's good to see Mel Gibson on the big screen again. I know he's been an idiot in real life, saying things he's said and done things he's done, but he's always he's always great to watch, and he does he does good things in this one. It's a it's quite a small story. He's a uh, he's playing a guy. He's been a criminal. He's done bad things in the past. He's uh, run with the wrong with the wrong crowd, but he's now on probation. He's a tattooist living in a trailer park. Uh, but he's a tough guy. He, he's a nice guy, even though you know he could beat the crap out of anyone. Oh. Anyone, but anyway, his daughter gets into some trouble with some drug dealers, and they're after her. So she comes to him for help, and violence ensues. It's probably the best way of doing it. But it's also very funny, uh, which is uh, I wasn't expecting at first. I thought it was going to be quite a serious thing, but there's lots of humour with the characters. It does go to some dark places with what happens to people, but it's uh, it's a nice, taut little action thriller. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually, I will say. Uh, yeah, it didn't make my list, but I, I thought it was quite good. And, and like you, I feel the same way. You know, Mel Gibson's private life, personal life, whatever, I, I you know, I don't I don't have to be a fan of that. But I, I do like seeing him on the screen still. He's, a, you know, he's still a great actor and he he, he is good in these action roles. And so uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a yeah. bit. So good choice. Thank you. Okay, what about where we're up to now? Number four. Yes, my number four um, is Deadpool, actually. So we're keeping that superhero thing alive <laughs> there. Uh, much like you said, you know, Ryan Reynolds is fantastic. It's a very funny movie. And I just, you know, when I think back to, you know, having fun in the movie theater, you know, Deadpool was probably the most fun I had in the movie theater last year. I mean, it, it just it was such yeah, a fun, yeah. infectious experience and, you know, people laughing. I went with a friend of mine who doesn't read comic books and I don't think he's seen hardly any Marvel movies. You know, he just knows nothing about the character at all. And, um, you know, he absolutely loved it, which I wasn't sure how he'd feel about it. You know, so I, I, it's just just fun. It's just a fun movie. And, and I, I really like that. I think that sense of fun is missing from a lot of films these days. So. Yeah, uh, they'll take themselves too seriously. Right, right. So I, I really enjoyed it, and that's my number four. Okay, my number four is The Hateful Eight. Very good. Which uh, some people be going, what? Well, it was released on Christmas Day in 2015. It was very limited. It was the 70mm roadshow thing. Yeah. And then it was sort of, it was general release, though, in 2016. And so it's sort of, it's, again, it's another little bit of a cheat, but it's a Quentin Tarantino film. I love John Carpenter's The Thing. I like a good mystery. Uh, and this is sort of a mix of all that, but with less aliens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautifully shot in the 70 millimeters. It's got a stunning cast. Uh, there's a few little bits, quirks and things, which didn't quite work, which means it's not quite as high as it probably would be for some people. But uh, I just really like what it, 
he did with it. Uh, I love the Hateful Eight, actually. And we talked about this. This is one we didn't really talk about where it was going to be on our list or if it was going to be on our list. But we agreed that even though it was a very limited release in 2015, we were going to consider it a 2016 movie because it didn't really open in any yeah. theaters until January 8th. So um, That's right. And actually, it was on my list. It was on my list several times. And then it actually ended up getting edged out. So <laughs> I do enjoy the movie very much. <laughs> I, I wish Quentin Tarantino would uh, be a little less in love with the N-word because his yeah, last yeah. two films he's used it so much that it really gets it's like I know he thinks like hey I'm cool I can get away with it I, I wish he'd lighten up on it a little bit it's like he, you, you can't get away with it as much as you think you can like it's just it's a it's mm. a bit much for me okay so we're we're now into our top th- three aren't we? yes we are and my number yeah, top three, three here we go yes has already appeared on your list it is Star Wars Rogue One or Rogue One a Star Wars story Star I guess is the technical name for it um, and yeah you know, I, I don't disagree with anything you said about it. I, I do think that the half, first half hour or so is, is a bit of a mess. Um, and, and the movie has plenty of flaws. And it's not necessarily what I think is the greatest movie in the world as far as cinematic achievement. But what I'll say is this. The last hour or so of the film lets us see oh, yeah. the war part of Star Wars that we haven't really ever seen that much before. Um, not to this extent at this level with this budget. And for somebody who's been a Star Wars fan their entire life, getting to see, you know, the Star Destroyers in the atmosphere and the, the yeah. Death Star and spaceship battles and, you know, uh, like stormtroopers sh- and AT-ATs on the beach and explosions and like and just in the respect of that. You know, tossing in all the nods to the original films as well. It was just kind of like a big geek gasm, you know, like it was just oh, totally yeah. on that level, even though story wise, there are issues and and things like that on that level, just getting to see all these things that I love on the big screen again in a new way. I really I enjoyed that. And I do I do love the ending and how it ties in to the original films uh, very much. So, yeah, um, I'm I'm really I'm really looking forward to getting Rogue One on Blu-ray, and I'm watching it, and I'm putting the New Hope on straight afterwards. Right, right, and seeing how it t- how it lines up exactly. Because I think it's going to be you're going to suddenly appreciate uh, the characters, some of the characters again, like Vader and things like that. You suddenly because you you see bits and pieces in Rogue One, right, and events that happen. You're going to be on, they're going to become more menacing, as it were, and and things like yeah. that. And you you understand. What exactly the rebe- uh, the rebellion went through? Right, right. As well. Yeah, it, it really like does that. give you a sense of more of the rebellion than you got in the original movies. I think you know, yeah. Um, and like you said, what they went through and, and some of the losses and stuff. And so I just, you know, to me, I, I I was saying when it first came out and people asked me how it was, I said I think it's important to recognize that you're going to see a war movie that's set in the Star Wars universe. You know, more yeah, than you're yeah. going to see a Star Wars movie. Um, and I think that's part of what I liked about it because I love war movies and I love Star Wars movies. And so the melding of the two. And the fact that it wasn't trying to be kind of a Star Wars film as much as it was trying to be a, a war movie gave it a freedom that I that I enjoyed. Yeah, hey, I can't wait to own it and watch it a, a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, my number three is Hello High Water, which is sort of like a modern-day Western crime film uh, directed by David McKenzie and written by Taylor Sheridan. And it stars Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Jeff Bridges, and Gil, or Jill Birmingham. Uh, well, no, it's, uh, it's a... It's a small story. It's about two brothers trying to save uh, save a farm by doing by robbing some banks to get the exact amount of money they need because the bank's trying to foreclose on them, so they're trying to get the money from one bank to pay it back and blah blah blah. And uh, Jeff Bridges is the guy, is the sheriff or the Texas Ranger who's uh, chasing after them. It's a small film. It's great performances. It's a it's a nice little script. It's not action packed, although there are some good little scenes of uh, 
of action where they go rob the bank and or a couple of little shootouts. But it's uh, everybody involved is just really bringing the Ray game to it. Jeff Bridges is always good. Chris, it's, it's great seeing Chris Pine in a role like this. You sort of get used to seeing him as the pretty boy, you know, with the uh, piercing blue eyes and sitting on the, the Starship Enterprise. But uh, Ben Foster's always brilliant. No matter what he's in, even if the film was poor, he's always brilliant to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, a good choice. My number three? Yeah, good choice. You know, I liked the film. I I saw it and I I enjoyed it. I do think the performances are great. Always love Ben Foster. Uh, Chris Pine is terrific. I I didn't love the film. Um, I I think maybe it needed a few more shots of, like, you know, uh, desolate towns and, like, billboards and, and, like, you know, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, They're trying to make it a certain feel to it, didn't they? Yeah, it went a little far for me. It was like every, every, between every scene, it was like, like them driving and it was like showing like the landscape of like this like dusty old town falling apart like yeah. for like five minutes i was like oh my god i get it they live in a poor part of town <laughs> like can we move on please but i do like it it is worth watching it's just it didn't it didn't make my list i didn't i didn't love it as much as some some people have have enjoyed it so but good choice good choice thank you fair enough and what about uh here we go now with the uh, the the last two films of 2016. Yes, all right. Well, number two. And this is one of those ones that came out uh, in limited release, but it, it did open wide before uh, the new year. So I'm counting as a 2016 film, and it is La La Land, starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Um, it's a musical. There's no two ways about it. Uh, the very first scene of the movie is a big musical number. And, and I'll admit, the first 10 minutes or so, there was like two musical numbers in it, and I was going, hmm, it's a lot of singing. And uh, a lot of dancing. I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone meet. And from that moment on, the film is pure magic. It is funny and charming and beautiful and romantic. It's just it's wonderful, wonderful film. And I will say, from a film geek standpoint, the cinematography and the lighting and the way that it sort of is done in this old style of musical, you know, changing scenes and stuff. It's fantastic. And and the songs uh, lessen. There are less musical numbers as the film goes on. But the ones that are in there are actually really fantastic. And it's just terrific. I, you know, I, I think that Ryan Gosling and, and Emma Stone should, you know, legally be forced to, to marry because they're <laughs> so good together. Um, and yeah. actually it's directed by Damien Chazelle who directed Whiplash, which was one of my top – two films of 2014 we did that a couple episodes back yeah yeah. Um, and i just think he is clearly a phenomenal talent and he is very quickly rising to the top of my must watch list i will pretty much watch anything he does from here on out because both of his movies have been phenomenal and la la land is is in theaters now and it's getting a lot of awards buzz and i highly highly recommend going to see it in theaters if you get the chance um because it's just it's just fantastic. It's so much fun, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. that. It's just been it's been getting phenomenal reviews. Yeah, for good reason. Place. For good reason. Oh, excellent. Well, obviously, it's not on my list. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Fair enough. I can understand that. I, yeah. I just you know we uh, we really wanted to see it. We made it. Uh, and my wife and I got out to see it a couple nights ago, and so it was uh, perfectly timed for this episode. Brilliant. Okay. Well, my number two is Arrival, a science fiction film directed by Dennis Villeneuve. And written by Eric Hessera. Sorry, Eric, if I'm not pronouncing that right. I know we had a little chat on Twitter the other day, but there you go. It's based on a short story, and it stars Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker. And it's uh, it's an alien invasion film. Well, that's what it looks like, but it's about aliens coming to Earth, and it's about our reaction to it. And in particular, Amy Adams, who's a, a linguist and is brought in by the army to uh, translate the aliens' language, which is all 
very strange and alien-like, which is fitting as they are aliens. Right. But it's it's done extremely well. You're never you're not quite sure what's going on. You're sort of there with Amy Adams's character. You're thrown into this bizarre, strange alien spacecraft where you don't know you you know you don't know what what they're saying or doing, and they don't know how they're perceiving you. And you've then you've got the what's going on around the globe. You know the different governments and armies trying to find out if it's an invasion or not. And then it sort of, it builds, but it's 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 a it's a big, bold, small, emotional, intense story which uh, involves aliens. Right. Which because uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it's a it's a it's a great film. And uh, by the by the end of it, I was in tears in certain places. That's very good. But I can't say why because it's more. okay. Fair enough. Well, I haven't seen that one yet. Unfortunately, I really do want to see it. I've heard good things, but I just haven't had a chance yet. But that's my number two. All right. Well, here we are at the number one spot. Uh, it could be the same. Could be completely different. I don't know. But we shall see. My number one is Sing Street, which is an Irish film by John Carney, who is best known for the film Once, um, which obviously then became a musical. Uh, and then he also did a movie called Begin Again, which I enjoyed greatly with Mark Ruffalo and um, uh, Kira Knightley. And this film, Sing Street, is set in the 80s, and it is um, about a group of high school kids who form a band uh, to win over a girl. And that's kind of most of the story, but it is an absolutely delightful, charming, magical movie. Um, it's it's kind of a love letter to the 80s. If you enjoyed 80s music at all or if you remember the 80s at all, you will <laughs> love this film. It's very funny, even though the first 10 minutes or so you think you're watching like American History X or something. It's very serious in the beginning. And then it's a comedy. Um, it's got this great little sort of semi-romance going. Um, they make all these music videos. Uh, and so you get to hear the, the band as they write these songs. They film these videos. And actually the music, the soundtrack for it is phenomenal. Uh, it's got a lot of great 80s classics, but also these these songs that the band writes are really fantastic songs. And they are because they're sort of going through all these different bands in the film. So each of the songs kind of has like a different sort of 80s style to it a little bit. Yeah. And it's just a really funny, charming movie. And I just watched the entire movie with a smile on my face. And ultimately, while there's a love story, it's also about um, the love between two brothers, which I found to be very touching and uh, really uh, effective. And, um, you know, like like Damien Chazelle, John Carney has actually shot to the top of my must-watch list. I, I'm not a huge fan of Once, actually, the film itself. I know that a lot of people like it. To me, it's a little on the dull side. But uh, Begin Again and and Sing Street are both terrific, and I, I really think John Carney just has a lot to offer. So it's nice to see... Uh, him sort of return to the form of Begin Again and just make this movie that I, I loved so, so much. It's not a very well-known film over here especially. Uh, I think it got a little bit more of a release in the UK. Yeah, I think it, was, it, was, it wasn't was a huge film over here, but it was, uh, I think it did quite well and, you know, quite popular. Right, well, over here I think it pretty much came, went, came and went straight to video. But uh, for American audiences, most of you who haven't heard of it, please, please, please do yourselves a favor and go check it out. You will thank me for it. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's a, it's a film which I... I didn't get around to seeing last year, but it's uh, going back to my New Year's movie resolutions. It's uh, I think it's, it's on Netflix now, so I'm gonna. It's in my list, so I'll be getting that watch this weekend. Definitely do that and crossing off some of my resolutions. There you go. That's a great way to do it because you're really gonna yeah, enjoy it. Fantastic. I'm glad. I'm glad it's good. Yeah, I need to. I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. that. Yeah, it definitely it came in at number one. Like I once I watched it, I was just like, well, that just shot to the top of my list. I didn't have I you know I didn't have any more fun watching any other movies this year than that. It was it's fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, speaking of fun, my number one 
uh, I enjoyed it because it was lots of fun, is uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Ah, yes. Which is a New Zealand comedy drama by... It's written and directed by Taika Waititi, who's uh, did What We Do in the Shadows, and he's directing... or he's finished directing Thor Ragnarok, which I'm looking forward to. But this one, it stars uh, Sam Neill, who's brilliant, and Julian Dennison, who's fantastic. They play Uncle Hector and Ricky Baker, respectively. And Ricky Baker is uh, sort of fostered by Sam Neill's character. But uh, due to various circumstances, they end up going off into the bush and become targets of a manhunt who think uh, Uncle Hector has kidnapped Ricky Baker. And it's got beautiful scenery in New Zealand going off into the bush, big, you know, mountain ranges. A bit, you know, you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, but, uh, and it's, it's very funny. You've got great performances by all involved. Uh, it's a bit off kilter kind of humour, great dialogue. There's some snappy little moments which are just crazy. You got uh, the end up meeting bizarre characters in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's just, it's just superb. It made me laugh out loud in so many places. And Sam Neill is just great playing this grumpy old, crotchety old man who just wants to be left alone. But uh, this Ricky Baker who uh, manages to uh, worm his way into his affections, and they just have this crazy adventure uh, off in the wilderness. Yeah, I loved it. It made me just lots and lots of fun. Very good. An excellent choice. Thank you. All right. Well, there you go. Those are our top 10 films of 2016. Uh, pretty good lists, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. We covered a, there was some about some of the same films in the list, but we covered a, a, a wide range of genres and films. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you would like to share your thoughts on your top 10 films of 2016, we would like to hear it. You can reach out to us through our social media channels. If you just if you look for after the ending on Facebook and Twitter, we're there. There you go. You can also email us directly at afterthending at verizon.net. Okay, Phil, why don't you tell people what we're going to be discussing in next week's episode? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked, Mike. Uh, next week, which will be our, our 38th episode, we will be going after the ending of Chasing Amy and Minority Report. Very cool. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but... Uh, but Tom Cruise probably knows. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, he doesn't know, but he knows somebody right. who does. Right, exactly. <laughs> bath, yeah. Uh, and we'll also be doing our top 10 films of 1922. Yeah, a little trip back in time further than uh, this episode was, at least. Yes, so we're going way, way back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, well, that will wrap us up for now, then. As always, we thank you greatly for listening. Yes, thank, thank you very much, and it's good to have you all back in 2017. Let's all have a good one. Let's be nice to each other. Give hugs to people you love. Uh, don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. But, you know, have fun. There you go. Listen, I couldn't have said it better myself, Phil. I agree with all of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let's all have a great year. And let's watch lots of movies. Oh, and uh, for any celebrities out there listening, you know, try not to die. Right, right exactly. <laughs> Good advice, Phil. There Good advice go. for, for everyone, too, even if you're not a celebrity. Oh, yeah, that applies to everyone. Right. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. that, but yeah. yeah. Everyone, try, you know, let's, let's see you in 2018. Right. Watch more movies and try not to die. That's the official motto of after the ending <laughs> we, we've got so many things you could put on t-shirts oh it's true it's true that's definitely <laughs> one that's definitely one to add to the list uh, try to fish <laughs> alright on that note then uh, like I said we thank you very much for listening I am Mike Spring and I'm Phil Edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending in the small town of Maycomb Al 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 not Alaska <laughs> that would be a very different movie yeah, Atticus bit, Finch, frontier lawyer. Yeah. I, can't, I can't do a Gregory Peck impression. <laughs> I say he didn't steal that wolf pelt. Well, he was over there. <laughs> it's a white whale. We're going to add that to your list of impressions. Yeah, bad impressions. Yeah. Another thing, listeners, that you have to get used to. Right.
And through Atticus's work as a lawyer, the kids begin to understand heavy concepts such as racism. Dang it, that was my Apple Watch, and I thought I had turned it to silent. <laughs> Is that what it was? Clearly, yeah. I was, and clearly I was I looking around, and I didn't silent. know what it was. So. Yep, no, I thought I put it on silent, and I must have turned it off from silent. Okay. So... This episode is not sponsored by Apple Watch. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but if it could Apple be, do want to sponsor us, it could be Apple. Yeah, just you, you know where we are. That's right. We're on your iTunes, so you're not yeah. hard to find. You're probably monitoring our phones on Apple Watch. <laughs> That's right. They're saved by an unknown man who carries the uncant. They are saved by an un. Yep. Saved by what? Don't leave us hanging. <laughs> Very, I, 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 yes, I don't know what I'm saying there. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, yes, yeah, sounds very, very good, yeah, because, uh, blah, 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 yeah, that's, can't. <laughs> well I said. Drink of water. Well yeah. said, short yet brief. Yeah, I think I summed it up quite well. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> Nicely done. It was almost as good as Gregory Peck's nine minute summation scene. Oh, I think actually I was better. Oh, dear me. Okay, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, oh, I said, isn't that right, order. Phil, when I was talking about why we're doing Ghostbusters 2 instead of Ghostbusters? Yeah, yeah, you got it. You're... God. <laughs> okay. But who knows what the future holds? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 